Well, good morning, Village Church. Welcome here. We're glad that you're here today. It's an awesome day for you to be here because we have uh, one of the most amazing things that we ever gather for, we're going to get to do today, and that is we get to observe baptism. Uh, now, if baptism is new to you, uh, we're going to give a little breakdown of what that is, uh, but if it's not new to you, then you know why, why we're excited about this and why we have an extra drummer coming up to the platform right now, because he's very excited about it. <laughs> so... <laughs> Oh, come on, Christopher. <laughs> yeah, you never know what you run into here. So uh, if you've never experienced a baptism in a public place, this also is a real treat uh, because we're going to, as soon as we are um, done with our message and the testimonies, we're going to all walk down to the pool uh, and we are going to observe the baptisms right there in the public pool here at Fountain View. So it's going to be an awesome morning. So that's why we're kind of tra trying to streamline everything. We need, to be, uh, we need to stay on track so that they can actually use the pool today. And uh, we only get it for a little period of time. So I want to just uh, take a moment this morning, give you uh, an, uh, the next step in the life of, or the conversion of Abraham. And uh, it's really interesting that we get to fall on this passage today because this is the day we're celebrating baptisms, and there is a major connection between what Abraham goes through today and what we get to celebrate at the pool in just a few uh, moments. I want to start out by giving you, yeah, so that uh, the, the message is called, It's Not Me, It's You. You ever have that conversation with somebody else? You usually go, it's not you, it's me. Well, it's not me, it's you. And uh, we're going to do part one today, part two next week. I think you're going to enjoy it. Genesis 15, chapter, uh, chapter 15, verse 1 is where we're at. So if you want to turn in your Bibles or your electronics to that passage of Scripture, this is where we're going to pick up. Let me read you this passage of Scripture. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. This is one of the recorded times that we have God speaking to Abraham in the Old Testament. Word for word, we only have a few times, and this is one. What got me about this whole passage of Scripture is actually this very first verse. Because I asked myself, why did Abraham need to hear from God, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. I was down in my life at one period of time, well, more than one, but this is one particular period of time, and I was, um, actually, I was applying for one of my first ministry jobs, and I wasn't quite sure how to do that, because uh, I'm kind of like, what you see here is kind of what you get out there. It's kind of the same. I'm, I'm just not good changing character from place to place, and so this was one of my first interviews that I had with this a pastor, and we clicked, and it seemed to be going well. I was in seminary at the time. I thought, I'm just going to apply for this youth pastor position that can help me get some money through, and Beth can pay for the rest, and uh, I can get all the way through seminary, and, uh, and so that was the plan, and we clicked. We really did. We, we, I thought we had, we had a friendship that we had uh, begun, and when I went out uh, for lunch with uh, this, uh, the, the pastor, uh, we went to this restaurant, and, and uh, we had just been over to his house and spent some time over there, and, and we were really clicking well. 
to the point where I thought, well, I can, you know, I let my hair down a little bit more. And so we went out to the restaurant, we started joking around. And you know, if you know me, you know that kind of when I start joking, I, I just start joking around. And, and sometimes I have to apologize afterwards, but most of the time it's, it's pretty good. And so we just, we just started joking around at the table. And I could tell about halfway through dinner, he just got really quiet. And I thought, oh boy, I probably said something to offend him for the life of me because I'm a guy. I couldn't figure out what that was. But I'm sure that I had crossed the line at some point. Not too long after that, he actually called and he said, listen, could you come in and we can have a meeting? And I thought, okay, just more of the same, just questions that you want to ask. And so I came in and I walked into his office and he was there with two, uh, the head deacon and somebody else were, were there with him. And, and they were talking to me and they said, basically, we, we're going to cut this off. We're not going to pursue you any further. And I thought, well, everything was going so well. I, do, I don't understand why this, why, why this sudden change. And what had happened was, and I didn't realize this, is that he was used to being a pastor and having people work for him rather than with him. And I wasn't used to that. And so I thought we had a friendship when in reality I think he wanted something different. And he wasn't prepared for the real me. And I kind of scared him. And so he backed out of that, and in the process, he began to think some things of me that I don't think were very accurate. <laughs> and he shared that with me while he was in the room with, the, with his head deacon, and it was a very awkward conversation. I don't think he was used to that kind of transparency and certainly not camaraderie like that with a youth pastor. And so he got cold feet and he backed out. And I drove home, and I'll always remember that drive home. Because it was one of the first times in my life that I felt rejection based on my character. I don't know if you've ever felt rejection because of your character, but that's what I was going through. And I thought to myself, I don't think I want to do this. I don't think I want to sell myself as something that somebody wants me to be and have to be that thing for the rest of my life. I'd rather just be me. And this is one of my first introduction to the ministry, and so I, 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 I was really disappointed. I was really brokenhearted. I can remember calling my dad. My dad is one of my biggest cheerleaders of all time. He, when, when I would get together with him, he would often, when I was growing up and struggling with self-worth or self-doubt, he would often grab the back of my head and he would pull me right next to his face and he would remind me how proud he was of me. This close. I was not near home, but one of the first things I did was I called my dad. And I told him what had just transpired. It was a low point in my life, maybe the first time, like I said, I felt that kind of rejection, but just because of a, a misjudgment of my character. And my dad said these words, Craig, he just doesn't know who you are, and he doesn't know, how, uh, he doesn't know what kind of man he's giving up. Isn't that a good word for my dad? He always knew what to say, even on the phone as we live so far apart. It was like he grabbed the back of my head and pulled me close and had one of those conversations and told, him, told me how proud he was of me. He always had the right words as a dad for me. He'd dig deep to find the right words. And I know he struggled with it, but he always came up with just the right thing that I needed to hear at that moment. Do you know why God begins this conversation with Abraham this way? This, it's because Abraham needed to hear these words at this point of time in his life. God tells Abraham exactly what he needs to hear in order to go to the next step. At this point in Abraham's life, he has two big questions. Number one, am I safe? And number two, am I still eligible for God's blessings? 
So the first one, like, why would he ask if he was safe? Why was his first concern, am I safe? Well, remember what, he had just happened, what had just happened to Abram here. He had just had a battle with four kings from the east. They had come over and they had battled the five kings of the new area that he was in, and they won. And they took a bunch of stuff uh, as booty, <laughs> a bunch of stuff they, they were taken home, and Abram finds out that they also have his nephew Lot. One of, his, one of his men comes and tells him, and they said, Abram, you know, you're safe in the mountains. You don't even have to help Lot out. But they got Lot. They got his family. They got his stuff. So Abram gathers over 100 of his most trusted men. And they head out, and they start uh, looking for these guys. They attack them in the middle of the night. And they get Lot back. They get Lot's family back. And they get a lot of stuff back. In fact, they also rescued the king of Sodom. We talked about that last week. In the process of doing this, though, whereas the kings had never heard of Abram before, never even knew who he was before, he was in the whole country, not even close to where the battle was taking place, they'd never heard of this guy before, now they knew him. Because he had attacked them and he had stolen a bunch of stuff that they stole back. So they knew about him. And I think that Abram is a bit nervous for what will happen next. I mean, think about it. If you and over 100 of your best friends went out, attacked four kings, and stole back some of the stuff they stole, how do you think that they're going to take that? They're probably going to put you on their short list. Abram's thinking to himself, I just made some new enemies. I don't know if I'm safe anymore. So God says to Abram, I am your shield. Isn't that great? I am your shield. Now, He's nervous for him. He's nervous for his family's future. This is a natural concern not only for him, but it's a natural concern for us and our lives. We're thinking to ourselves, how are we going to get through the next section of our lives? How are we going to get through um, uh, this next big obstacle that faces us? It is a natural concern for anyone that they would have in their lives the question of, am I safe? You've probably asked yourself that at times before. Maybe not even physically safe, but if I enter into this relationship, will I be emotionally safe? If I enter into this job, will I be financially safe? If I enter into this whatever, am I going to be safe? You know what I love about God? He tells us right when we need to hear it, just what we need to hear. And he says, I am your shield. Now you might be thinking to yourself, well that's wonderful for, for Abram, but what about us? Is that true for us? Well, first of all, let me also say, it's not just true for Abram. Do you remember the story of Job? So Satan comes before God, he says, I want to attack this guy, Job, because he's like, he's a Bible thumper, he's like religious over the edge, he's like, he's like converting people to, to you, and it's only because you bless him. So you let me attack him, take some stuff away, and we'll see what Job's made out of. Do you remember that story? It's interesting in the conversation that he has with God, the words that Satan uses. Here's the words that he uses in Job 1 verse 10. Have you not put a, what is the next word? Don't you love that? Have you not put, Satan talking to God, have you not put a hedge around Job and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. How would you like to be Job? Are you sure? Because <laughs> you know what happened to Job, right? This is how God treated Job. Satan knew it. 
Job didn't know it, but he guessed it. But we know it because it's in Scripture. The kind of God that we serve is a kind of God that acts like a shield. I can't get over this verse. God looks at Abraham and he says, I am your shield. He was a shield to Job, and let me tell you, he's a shield to us as well. Psalm 51, verse 11. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. That includes us, church. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you, for you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover them with favor like a what, church? Ah, oh, do you love it? That is not talking to people who do not follow God. That is talking to people who follow the Lord. The promise is, church, just like with Abram, just like with Job, you may not even know it because it's not visible, but God protects you like a shield. And he blesses you. And he keeps other things out like a shield. I love it. The second question I think that he had is, am I still in God's good graces? He says to Abram, your reward shall be very great. Why would Abram be concerned? Why would he need to have God pull his head next to him and say, listen, Abram, I'm your shield. Don't fear those kings. And I'm the one who brings you rewards. I think he needed to hear this because he needed to know that he was still in good with God. Abram had just given up his reward. Do you remember this? Abram, when he brought back all that loot from the kings, he gave it back to the king of Sodom. And not only that, remember, he didn't, he didn't take any of the stuff from, from the conflict. He gave it all back to the king of Sodom. He said, I don't want your dirty money, basically. And then he said, but I'm going to reserve a tenth of it. And he gave it to Melchizedek. He's given away stuff left and right. Abram just gave up his reward. And I think God wanted to remind him that he's not giving up his greatest reward, and that is his relationship with God. Listen, you, could, you, you brought nothing into this world, and I got news for you. You ain't taking nothing out. What profits a man to win the whole world? Fill as many barns as you can and lose your own soul. Your greatest reward is Jesus Christ. My greatest reward is Jesus Christ. It is how you get a healthy functionable life when you follow his principles and when you follow him fully. It is how you get a healthy, functioning family. It is how you succeed in this world because he is the only one that can be a shield for you and he is the only one who brings you reward, real reward. I think Abraham needed to hear this because just like us, we just need to hear it over and over and over again. Do you know how long it was since Abram left Ur and had that last conversation with God? This is gonna shock you. He was 75 when he left Ur. You remember that? And he wandered around and his dad died and he went down to Egypt and blah, blah, blah. All these things happened. Do you know how much time has passed since he's actually had a conversation with God like this? 10 years. 10 years. How desperate do you think Abram was to hear the voice of God again? For God to say, I haven't given up on my promise. I, haven't, I, I have not forgotten what I promised you. We're still good. I think in God's grace, he's talking to Abraham like a dad would talk to his son and saying, you're okay, I'm okay, we're okay, keep faithful. God's promise was as good as 10 years old 
by this point, and Abram probably thinks to himself, I've dropped the ball, I've dropped the ball. How many times have you dropped the ball on the Lord in the last 10 years? And he's probably thinking the same thing, and God grabs him in his grace, and he pulls him close, and he says, we're still good. Now next week, next week is one of the most amazing passages of scripture that we get to look at together. It's going to be amazing because it, if you love this point, it pounds this point like a nail home. And it applies to every single one of us. Abram had no idea. It's been 10 years, so he's thinking to himself, maybe God has, maybe it's not going to be actually a child <laughs> that's going to come from me. Maybe, maybe it's another plan that God has for me. And so down in verse 2, next verse down. But Abram said, <laughs> But Abram said, <laughs> well, there you go. There's your replacement, Mark. <laughs> but Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and no member of my household will be my heir. He's trying to think to himself, like, what is going to happen here? I haven't had a child in 10 years. The promise was made. Did God forget? God doesn't forget. God says, no, I'm going to be rewarded. I got your rewards planned. Don't worry about it. But yet, where's this kid coming from? So pragmatic Abraham starts thinking to himself, maybe it's not actually my child. Maybe it's a part of my family. Maybe it's Eleazar. So look what God does in verse 4. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram and said, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, look, up toward the heaven and number the stars. How would you like for God to ask you to number the stars? An impossible task. Number the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said unto them, so shall your offspring be. In other words, he says to Abram, I haven't forgotten the promise. The promise is going to come from you and the promise is going to be bigger than you ever expected. He clarified the promise and he expanded it for Abraham. He gave him reason to hope. I also notice this. Every time Abram goes through a major challenge in his life, God reiterates the same promise. After walking through the desert for all those years out of Ur, in 12 and verse 7, God reiterates his promise. After returning from Egypt and dumping Lot, God reiterates his promise, Genesis 13, 7. And after the war of rescuing Lot here in this passage, God reiterates his promise. God constantly reminds us that he will not drop the ball. He is ever faithful. You know what he reminds us all the time? He reminds us, it's not you, it's me. It's not you, it's me. I will take care of you. I will be a shield for you. I will be your greatest reward. I am the one to protect you. I am the one to keep promises for you. And if you're thinking to yourself, I, if I just did this, it would all come together. If I just gave up this, it would all come together. If I just had done this 20 years ago, it would be like this. You have missed the character of God. Because God is the one who brings us our rewards. God is the one who dumps blessings on us like a shield. So, the message this morning is simply this. Do you know the promises of God? Better yet, do you believe the promises of God? What are some promises that you believe? Let's go. Name them. He's faithful. He'll love you forever. Stick closer than a brother. Never leave you nor forsake you. Be with you to the end of the age. He will forgive you. 
Good. You're leaving a big one off that's going to happen to all of us. Like, ah. Thank you. Yes, we get, to go, we get to be with Jesus when we die. That's a biggie. Good. How many promises do we forget when we need to hear them the most? How many promises do we overlook when God pours out blessings on us and we just, we just forget to give him thanks? Listen, the great pleasure of the Christian life is to feel God's face next to you and to hear his voice when you need it the most. And God, here's one promise you forgot. God will always listen to you. You can talk to him any time of the day or night, any age that you are. doesn't matter how simple it is or how many drumsticks you're carrying around. It doesn't matter how old you are and how many breaths you have left to breathe. God is always listening to you. The goal of this life is not just to know the promises of God, but it's to live like you actually believe them. And if God promises certain things in Scripture, like if you live this certain way, then God will bring you blessings. Or if you, if you surrender, He will help you be victorious. Everything in the Christian life is upside down. Have you noticed that? In order to be strong, you have to be weak. In order to win, you have to lose. You have to surrender in order to gain. It's, everything is upside down in the Christian life. And if that's really the case, if that's how God works, then our job is to remind ourselves of that, and that promise, the promises of God, so that we continue to live like we actually believe them. If you know you should be baptized, you get baptized. Right? <laughs> Brian and Adriel. I love it because this is the last verse, and this is the pivotal verse, and this is the verse I leave you with. Genesis 15, verse 6, next verse. And Abram believed the Lord. And say this with me, church, would you? And he counted it to him as righteousness. God counted Abram's belief as righteousness. Not only that, but that it refers to all of the promises of God. That it refers to every promise God ever made to Abram, to every person before us, to every person after us, because if God breaks his promise once, he ceases to be God. God is a promise keeper. This is what separates us from those who know about God to those who know God. If you know God, you will live differently. It just is how it is. Abram did not live like everybody around him. He lived differently. Why? Because he believed God, and God counted that to him as righteousness. So, when you believe God, you surrender everything to God. Oh, that's so hard though, isn't it? So hard. But if you really believe that God is your shield and your reward, why wouldn't you surrender everything to that? The question is, do we really believe it? We have two people that do believe that and more about God here today. And those two people are getting baptized today. Baptism is basically a proclamation of a private decision. It doesn't get you more saved. It doesn't get you into heaven. It doesn't get your sins forgiven. If you accept Christ as your Savior, bada bing, bada boom, you are forgiven. Your sins are gone. You are good with God. Abram had not gotten baptized. Not unless we miss some passage that I haven't seen yet. 
Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and that same process is alive and well today. If you give your life to Jesus Christ, you're good with him. Baptism is a public declaration of that decision. So everybody that comes to me that says, yeah, I'm a believer, I've been a believer for 20 years, my next question is, oh yeah, when were you baptized? And they better say, oh, I've been baptized like 19 and a half years ago. <laughs> but a lot of people don't. And they don't, maybe because of different reasons. Maybe they, because they never understood what it is, maybe because they, they never uh, had, had the, um, the biblical knowledge in order to make that decision. So that's what I want to tell you today. These two are getting baptized because they have given their lives to Jesus Christ. They do have a relationship with God. They do believe his promises. And now they want to let the world know. And so they're going to come up this morning and they're going to give their testimony to you this morning and declare to you how they have given their lives to Jesus Christ and why they want to get baptized today. So come on up here, you guys. All right, who's going first, dad or son? All right, a brave, that's a brave father. Is this on? No. Yes, you're on. Should I stand up here with you, or are you good? No, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> this is Brian. Brian, take it away. Tell us what Jesus has done for you. All right. I don't know if this is right or wrong or not, but I can't stay in one spot and read something. It freaks me out. So I'm going to give you the cliff notes and just kind of go off the top of my head, okay? Motion creates emotion, so i got to move. Like I said, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but i got the mic in my hand, so it's too late now. <laughs> you got to hold it close. <laughs> Got to hold it a little closer? Is that better? Yeah. All right. I always grew up in the church. Um, thanks to my mom and dad. They grew me, grew me up in the church. Everybody look. Got to embarrass her a little since I'm up here too. <laughs> so I've always known uh, God sent his only son down to, uh, down to earth to die for our sins. All right. I would probably say I became a true believer in 2006. In 2006, my faith was truly tested. In 2006, we, the housing market crashed. We had lost everything, um, house, cars, my faith. Uh, he took everything but my wife and kids. Thank you <laughs> for letting me keep those. Um, and it was a very, very trying time for us. Uh, in that time period, we were still attending church. I was still going to church, going through, you know, the motions there, but not truly there. When I was there uh, at church, the pastor said a verse that really struck a chord with me. That verse was 1 Timothy 5, 8. I'm going to read this one, though, just so I get it right. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and expressly for those their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That truly spoke to me. I get a lot of people now that ask me, why do you take care of people? Why do you bring people into your household? Why do you help people? Because um, of that. From that point on, by putting my, from when I heard that voice, I really put my faith in him. And I prayed, and I just gave faith. I gave it all to him. I truly believed that he would help me, and Lord, did he. Because of that, he has granted me in more ways than I could ever, ever imagine. And I truly believe that was all because I put my total faith in him. And from there, I've completely grown with the church, and I truly believe he led me here. He led me here at uh, Village Church East, 
where I made a family and has given me an opportunity to give back. And I am truly grateful for that. I'm truly grateful for all of you here. And like I said, this is an awkward thing. I talk in front of people all the time, but you want to talk sales, I'll teach you some closes. Not a problem. But <laughs> getting up and talking about this is a little weird, but I just want to thank you, everybody. Can't wait to get back. Thanks. Hello. All right. Um, to be honest, I don't really remember the exact moment where I accepted him to be my savior because in our household, we kind of grew up always going to church and reading the Bible and always obeying his word. So it's kind of been like a second nature to me. And I also like find it really weird when like people say they don't because it's like, I don't know, it's just been part of my life forever now. And Growing up, I always went to like Sparks and Cubbies, so I always heard his story of him dying on the cross for our sins and rising again. So as I got older, I kind of found out that I was a sinner because I would get in trouble a lot, and mom and dad can attest for that. But they always welcomed me home with open arms and loving, and just like he does for us now, he, uh, he loves us no matter what we do. No matter how far we fall, he always accepts us back into his home. And I see now, as I grow even older, that um, I pray more to ask for guidance. And he's answered those prayers m more and more, especially now when him bringing us here to Village Church East and having you guys become one big family for us. And that's why I put my faith and my trust into him. And one verse that always stuck out to me is Romans 12, 12. He says, rejoice. I want to read it just to make sure I get it right. <laughs> He says, rejoice in hope, be patient in, in affliction, and be persistent in prayer. I take that to heart because I feel like I'm going to be tested a lot as I grow up, that things are going to get hard, and I need to just trust in his plan and his word that everything will be okay. Good job, guys. All right, at this time, like we got to cruise down to the, the pool because as a part of these testimonies, you get to now observe their baptism. Uh, take your, uh, you can leave your stuff here. You don't have to take it with you. And you can come back and get it when we're all done. But we'll, uh, we'll have, uh, uh, Beth will lead the way.